Can you believe that they still print loot? How can you escape a fart in a space suit? In last episode, listeners, I suggested to you that we might have a special guest in a couple of weeks. And, and now... That time has reduced only, to one week. Only a week, yeah, yes. that's how maths works, and isn't it? So stay tuned to find out who that special guest is. We'll tell you at the end of the episode. Oh, hook yeah. and tease, Helen. <laughs> hook and tease. Yeah, repay the diligent or people that know how to fast-forward podcasts. <laughs> For those of you who were saying, where was Martin last week? He was here. Uh, if you We're, listen back to the episode, you can hear him coughing occasionally. I think he sniffed a bit. You were feeling a bit down, weren't you, Martin, last week? I was a bit tired and I just thought, I'll, I'll uh, you know, I've, I've carried these guys for 249 episodes. <laughs> I'll take a step back and let them have the limelight well, for a train. I, usually when Martin's quiet, it's because he's got some very chewy sweets that he's occupied with. Last week, just he was just taking it easy. But he is here. We haven't replaced him with a flower pot or something. A big hairy flower pot. Well, we're kicking off with some good news. Uh, it's from Mark in Surrey. His wife is currently pregnant. Congratulations. I suppose in The Omen, it wasn't such good news that she was pregnant. That's right. Or yeah. Rosemary's baby. Well, he says this is on the whole a good thing. It's just as mm-hmm. well that you feel that way. Well, yeah, no need to get the coat hanger out. Oh, uh, she seems to be enjoying the experience. Again, good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, do you mean you're enjoying it because her boobs have got a lot bigger? <laughs> However, <laughs> she is also suffering from morning sickness that she is literally not keen on. Fair enough. Uh, so Helen, answer me this: Does morning sickness do something useful? Is it a side effect of some positive thing that's going on regarding the baby, or is it just another way that God has made the production of children bizarrely one-sided and unpleasant? It's mainly caused by hormones. So uh, progesterone prepares the womb for the uh, inmate, and uh, in doing so, it relaxes the uh, muscles of uh, your digestive system, which can make you feel more sick. And Mm. then, um, coupled with that, uh, you're also producing human chorionic uh, gonadotrophin. (laughs) Gonadotrophin. Okay. Which, uh, that's uh, produced by the fertilised egg, and that makes people feel sick. It sounds like something from The Hobbit, doesn't it? Gonadotrophin. And then, uh, mainly, oestrogen levels rise, especially in your first uh, 12 weeks, which is why the first trimester is the worst for the puking. Uh, and that makes you really sensitive to smells. And that is so that you are protecting the fetus against things that are potentially toxic to it. Because a lot of foodstuffs are toxic to fetuses that aren't to adults. Mm. And so it's just like a warning system telling you not to eat these things that could be dangerous for the baby. Mm. And also for you, because your immune system is compromised by uh, the fact that you're incubating. So your womb's going, don't eat that stuff, don't you know that it's toxic? (laughs) 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 To what extent do you think morning sickness and tales of morning sickness actually put women off getting pregnant? Is it something you'd think about in your hostility to opening up your womb to an incumbent? No, my problem isn't even the horror of childbirth. It is the uh, 18 years of being someone's uh, moral <laughs> and educational guardian yeah. afterwards. That, to me, is the You're truly terrifying six thing. Years of me. I suppose that people, when they're looking to get pregnant, they maybe just ignore the unpleasant side and they think maybe it won't be so bad. And then by the time they are pregnant, if they wanted to be pregnant, they think, too late now. Not getting rid. You'd think evolutionarily it would be more useful for mm. childbirth to look straightforward and then everyone would do it. Certainly you'd think that there was an expedient to have a better escape route than the ones currently available. <laughs> yeah. um, and the fact that, you know, people get depressed and, of course, the nine-month gestation period might be part of this as well. Maybe mm. there is a small part, evolutionarily, of saying to women, it's not just a fun ride, this. There was this cliche, isn't there, that women, you know, in the distant past of humanity, had to be very selective about men because of this process, because it's a, lo- it's a long process. And so if there you only ma- wanted people who had a Ferrari. If you make it a very unpleasant process as well, that further emphasises that you don't want to just 
you know, have a load of children, what you should do is focus on one child and, and that should be the genetically the best one. But it doesn't really make that much sense. But also, whatever you say about uh, evolutionary tactics, the urge, the sexual urge, I think it's fair to say, is stronger than everything else. You're not thinking at that point when you're on your back or you've got a massive erection, you're not thinking, oh, yeah, but I'll get morning sickness. <laughs> so, yeah. end of the day, I guess that is the strongest urge. It doesn't really matter all the other yeah, stuff, does it? So, actually, it is probably just God being a dick yeah. again. It's like when you're eating Toblerone for breakfast and you're not thinking, this won't <laughs> set me up for the day and it will probably lead to my early death. Amazing how you just pluck that uh, example from your imagination. I read about it <laughs> on the internet. Here's a question from Andy who says, my wife and I live in Tufnell Park and we have a one-year-old son. What a life. We're thinking about moving to the Cannons Park slash Stanmore area for the excellent schools and comfortable suburban family life as enjoyed by the young only man and man family. Mm. However says Andy, my wife is a bit worried that it's too far out of central London and that there are hardly any cafes or restaurants or life out there compared to Tafnell Park. <laughs> da, 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 Tafnell Park. <laughs> so, Ollie, son of Stanmore, answer me this. How did you like growing up in Stanmore and what did you like and dislike about it? I'm not saying you're making a mistake, uh, <sighs> but I might infer that with what I'm about to say. I'll start with what I disliked. Mm-hmm. I disliked the fact that there is... No culture at all anywhere in Stanmore, unless you literally take culture to mean bagels. Otherwise, Ooh, that's enough for me. There is, there is. I mean, there's not a bookshop in Stanmore apart from Oxfam. There is no theatre or music venue or cinema within walking distance of Stanmore. Whereas Tufnell Park, who well, knows? Well, Tufnell Park, you're there's pubs, there's music. There's, there's quite a lot in yeah. Tufnell okay. Park actually. Okay. There is a bit going on. And actually, on that, on that. Big shout out to 2J's secondhand bookshop in Edgware, which uh, okay. basically saved Teenage Ollie Man from a life of, um, well, just Adrian Mole, which is all you could buy in the that Oxfam good, bookshop. That, that is good. It's good, isn't it? But once it's you've read enough. it. Yeah. yeah. And Jilly Cooper. You could buy all the Jilly Cooper books as well, the ones that had the fronts with riding bottoms on. That's all of them, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> basically. Except for the one about an orchestra. <laughs> if Jilly Cooper and Two Towns had ever collaborated on a novel, oh you can guarantee God. it would be filling the shelves of that Oxfam. It'd be very difficult, though, because Jilly Cooper would be like, yeah, sex. And then uh, Adrian Mole would be like, failing at the sex. <laughs> Um, How far is Edgware from Stanmore if you are looking for a cultural hub? Edgware is a half hour walk. Okay. Slash five minute bus ride away. Well, so that's the same as me living on the outskirts of Tunbridge Wells and it was a a 25 minute walk into the town centre. Yeah, but again, let me be very clear on this point. Unless you take culture to mean Nando's, (laughs) Edgware is also not much of a cultural hotspot, uh, but it does have the bookshop. There used to be a record store as well, didn't there? Loppy Lugs. Loppy Lugs gone now. Yeah, it's uh, some sort of kosher chocolatier, I think. (laughs) Interesting. (laughs) not making it up, listeners. Different way. Um, However, that said, uh, on the bright side, Stanmore now, inconceivably to the young Ollie man, has not only a Sainsbury's, uh, when Ooh. I lived there, you couldn't buy a pint of milk, but you could buy a £3,000 dress, uh, <laughs> but also a bowling alley, Wow! which is actually, like I say, I mean, that would have been revolutionary to me when I was a teenager. I would have been there all the time. And, and actually, there's also this quite buzzy Lebanese restaurant that has hooker pipes outside. Uh-huh. So there's loads and loads of teenagers out on the street, which gives it a certain <laughs> ambiance, which is different to what it used to be. A little bit more... Um, bit more exciting than perhaps it was not everyone there looks like they're about to die of old age at any moment Yay. anymore. that's changed and you've got that nice butcher with the statue of a pig outside haven't no you? that's closed oh <laughs> it's all closed God. uh morris gold the photographer uh. now now a subway but then you can get on the jubilee line from stanmore and be in central london in what an hour well i was gonna say i think it's a bad sign when the best thing you can say about a place is that you can quickly get to other places from it however yeah uh the tube that is a really good thing you know, that is the reason why people obviously historically families for generations have moved out there since they built 
built it obviously being able to hop onto the jubilee line and get into town did enable young ollie man to do his weird theater fly collecting missions which is useful uh, if you want to live somewhere green and leafy and suburban but also actually not be completely trapped by it so you know there is that to it okay so uh there's just more stuff to debate therefore you haven't given him a clear answer of what he should do with his life well, I, I don't think he was asking that, to be fair. He said, what did I like and what did I dislike? I think I've given him a fair appraisal of that. I'm I still... mean, ultimately, I'm not going to make that decision for you, Andy, and it sounds like you are, in any case, going to do this. I still feel very confused. Well, the thing is, I think looking back on it, obviously I was a kid and I didn't appreciate the fact that my parents had moved there for my safety and happiness. No, you wouldn't really, would you? You just don't, Children do you? are selfish. But looking back on it, and at the time, I wanted to live in central London because it was cool. But actually, looking back on it, I think there are elements of living in suburbia which are quite nice. For example, I could cycle unimpeded on footpaths, even though you're not supposed <gasps> to. You monster. The only people you'd run into were in their 80s and they were powerless to stop you. And they're going to die soon anyway, <laughs> thought the young Ollie man. Um, I think also growing up in suburbia makes you appreciate interesting places when you finally get to live in them. I think there is an element of that as well. I've got a question. Email your question. To answer me, this podcast at googlemail.com To answer me, this podcast at googlemail.com To answer me, this podcast at googlemail.com To answer me, this podcast at Here's a question from Jess from Dorset who says, Helen, answer me this. Where did the name Wikipedia come from? And what was the idea behind it? It seems a hugely ambitious concept to try and catalogue everything known to man. I think that's fair, Jess. Yeah. <laughs> I think it is quite an ambitious concept. But it yeah. was a concept that others had been doing before, like the poor old Encyclopedia Britannica that Wikipedia has effectively punched out of existence. Yeah, and actually, I mean, when you look at it sort of realistically... You know, now we know that crowdsourcing can work. Actually, Wikipedia seems like quite a sober, sensible idea compared yeah. to Encyclopedia Britannica, which is get a handful of people to write a book about everything ever. Mm. I mean, actually, yeah. that's harder, isn't it? That's more ambitious. Yeah, well, Wikipedia was a spin-off project of um, Newpedia, which was uh, a free online encyclopedia project, but where it was written by experts and it was a formalised process. So that started in 2000, and then the following year, they started off the uh, Wikipedia because a lot quicker than getting experts to write everything. And then if you ran Newpedia, wouldn't you be absolutely livid that this little tiny trifling side project that you'd started then just effectively swamped all your own work? Well, maybe, but if you were even part of the development of something that revolutionary, I mean, I think it's safe to mm -hmm. say, we don't know for certain, but I think it's safe to say that in 100 years people will still know what Wikipedia was, even if it's not a going concern. I don't think it's that safe to say because in 100 years we'll all be underwater. I think the remaining nuclear fish will know uh, what <laughs> Wikipedia was. Well, they'll be editors. <laughs> um, I, I, the thing that I don't like about Wikipedia is the editors, actually. It is the thing that you, because you, you know you start contributing to a page and then someone sends you a message saying oh i noticed that you didn't use the correct source material when you referred to the and it's like i know you have to have rules yeah but actually to elect yourself as the person who imposes those rules is not something i can have ever imagine doing so what kind of people do that people that like accurate facts which is not you but people who should be volunteering their services for charity I yeah think. but wikipedia well, is a magnificent <laughs> resource that is giving people for free uh, vast quantities of information that was unthinkable with me. Yeah, yeah, no. I so admire it the is project. a charitable thing. I know, but you, come on. You know as well as I do that some of these people, the bureaucracy they're referring to is so tedious that it's not important, um, really. Well, it is important, though, because otherwise the service wouldn't be worth having. Because if it was a bad service, then it would be a bad service. I suppose they're trying to engineer consistency. You have to, because otherwise, if you've got something that's only 50% accurate, it's like I've got a watch that is accurate to within about five minutes to an hour of the correct time. 
So that is an ornament, really, isn't it? It's not a useful watch. So if Wikipedia was not accurate, then sure. it's it's not worth having. No, no, I agree with that. I'm not really talking about the accuracy. I'm talking about when they talk about how you lay out your footnotes, for example. Well, I know that someone has to do it. Like I said, I just I just wouldn't want to be the person who devoted my life to that. You're just not a complete finisher, Ollie. You're like an ideas man. There need to be people who uh, look at the detail. Drones. So anyway, where did the wiki bit of the name come from? Wiki, was it wiki, just wah, wah, it was... <laughs> from that? It's all a Will Smith yeah, tribute. Actually, fair enough. Wiki was just a term that meant that the website was collaborative. It is a Hawaiian word that meant quick, and uh, the person who uh, developed uh, Wiki Wiki Web, which was the first <laughs> wiki, i.e. Uh, a collaborative website. Just um, bounce with me, just bounce with yeah, me. Yeah. It's, it's a man called Ward Cunningham, mm. and uh, he uh, got the idea because uh, when he was at Honolulu Airport, uh, he was told to take the Wiki Wiki shuttle <laughs> that goes between the uh, terminals, and he said, well, I thought I'll use Wiki instead of the word quick, because calling my stuff quick web rather than WikiWeb just sounds a bit rubbish and boring and unimaginative yeah and it also suggests actually doesn't it that speed rather than quality is more important whereas somehow using a word that is foreign doesn't do that it's just fun to say as well isn't it it is fun yeah it is wicked I remember when uh, Wikipedia first became big I thought yeah but that is a really stupid name whereas now it's just assimilated into my vocabulary as an acceptable number of syllables it's like everyone everyone said when the iPad came out oh it sounds like a tampon no one says that anymore you just get used to it I never heard that every bloody person I didn't say that I didn't well this is in from George the Submariner uh, who says, My wife Samantha and her mum are currently taking down a load of horsehair plaster from our living room in deepest, darkest Wales. You're probably safer on the submarine, George. <laughs> they were told by a friend to make sure they wore face masks to protect themselves from the dust, which is obvious, mm-hmm. and also to protect themselves from the arsenic that would also be in the plaster, which is not so obvious. Mm-hmm. So, Helen, answer me this. Why would you put, and indeed, why do you, Helen, put <laughs> arsenic in a plaster mix? Because I want people to die slowly and not know how. <laughs> uh, did they used to do this as a bonding agent? Indirectly, because actually the critical part of this is the horsehair of the horsehair plaster. In tanneries, they used arsenic uh, to soften the hairs, to strip them from the leather, and then they shipped off the hair to be used in the plaster to sort of pad it out. So the hair was still laced with arsenic. Okay, so it was accidental, basically, or incidental. It wasn't it was incidental. part of the crucial part of the water. It's just how they used to get the horse hair off. That's right. And arsenic also was used as a wood preservative and in wallpaper paste to discourage rodents. So uh, I think uh, people just thought, ah, well, it's the 19th century. You'll probably die of cholera or tuberculosis before the arsenic gets you. Let's just put it in there. And when, when you say that they put arsenic in the walls also to repel rodents... Uh, that's quite a strong repellent, isn't it? That's uh, that's kill rodents, isn't it? Is, yeah. is the euphemism that really? If your children happen to be licking the walls, then <laughs> that is their fault. Apparently, they're also though. If the walls predate eighteen ninety five. There could be anthrax spores in the plaster. Wow. In, in 1895, they introduced controls about putting anthrax in your walls. And uh, there might be lead paint too. And yet, I never saw an episode of Changing Rooms where Lawrence Llewellyn Bowen knocked down some plaster. <laughs> and and got then, anthrax and died. Yeah, and got anthrax and died. It is only a matter of time, though, isn't it, before there's an episode of Jonathan Creek using this as a mechanic? Well, Napoleon, yeah. they think, died because of arsenic poisoning from his wallpaper because it was used as a pigment for green wallpaper. Hmm. Uh, and obviously he loved to eat wallpaper. Luckily for you, George, uh, your wife and her mother are unlikely to be killed or particularly injured by the presence of this arsenic. It's not nice and it's not good for you, but uh, the smallest amount from one house you're probably okay. If they were doing this every day as their job for years and years, yes, they might get cancer from it. Yeah. But uh, it might just make them feel quite sick. But on the plus side, you could gather all the horsehair together and knit yourself a lovely wig. 
Yeah, make a stick on beard. Yeah. <laughs> you know, moustaches are all the rage at the moment, aren't they? I th- actually think that might help me get into the role of being a builder if I was doing some DIY stuff. Do you know what I mean? Because it's so not really my character to be doing that kind of thing. I always struggle having the uh, the chat, the conversation with the, the plumber or the builder, the tradesman. Or any masculine type men. <laughs> Basically. Um, I had one the other week that came to measure my blinds. And you said, did you see the revival? <laughs> of chess <laughs> <laughs> it's just like it was a, he was like oh yeah you've got a non-movable bracket there mate uh what you want to do is you want to put it there you oh you've got the center roller ah oh, no you see it right center roller here see this bracket the two don't go together and he started drawing me a thing on the bracket eh? i just didn't know what to do with myself i really didn't there should be a lingua phone course that you could do so that you could talk handyman i think a tool belt really helps as well get you into roll because it does feel like you've got a bigger penis. Oh, God, do you remember... Uh, why, because you've got a hammer dangling yeah. in your head. Do you remember yeah. those chairs that, like, Carhartt used to do these jeans with that uh, hammer, hammer, hammer loop yeah. on the back? That's so yes. late 90s, isn't yeah. it? Oh, God, they're so twatty. And that's funny, isn't it? Because boy bands used to wear those jeans. And, and yet... girl bands, All Saints used yes. to wear them. And yet you'd never see All Saints putting off a wall, ever. What's your favourite question from our first three years that's really made you go for? Tim Curry or Tim Rice. Disposing of dead mice. Dave from Smethwick on kosher law. If you like fact or body talk. Or just a soundtrack for your walk. We've got stuff to entertain you. Because for 79 pence each you can buy our first three years episodes. Or just the good ones, who could blame you? Go to answermethispodcast.com slash classic or iTunes. And if you don't, you'll get a visit in the night from our band of Tired goons, whack, whack, whack to what they say, if you value your knees. Right, we've got to that point of the show where we like to remind you of our phone number, so get your pens at the ready, uh, because that's, of course, how you note these things down in the digital world, and get ready to write down the phone number to send us a question, which is... 0208123 And hopefully you left enough room on that piece of paper with your crayons to write Answer Me This, which is our Skype ID, if you prefer to telecommunicate that way. Let's see who has been in touch. Hello, it's Steve from London. Um, I'm an actor and I'm on my way to an audition for an advert for Pims. Other disgusting liquors are available. Um, Helen and Ollie and Martin the Soundman, answer me this. Why is it called an audition? Has it got something to do with auditorium or audit? I'm going to audit your talent. They're all from the same root, uh, which is the Latin word uh, audire, which means to hear. So audio is from the same. Oh, yeah, OK. And audition was just the act of being heard. Yeah, and- because, of course, I mean, until very recently, with sort of advent of method acting and so on, I imagine acting really was just about projecting and being heard, in a way. Oh, it's like when you're at junior school and the best singer is just the loudest one. Well, it is kind of, you know, until, until the advent of recorded sound and microphones, the, the ability to project and be heard was kind of the most important thing about going on stage in that sort of Olivier style of acting. Oh, God, It was just awful. about sort of telling everyone that you're the king. I'm not fond of declamatory uh, acting style, just as Martin is not fond of vibrato, which was for the same reason, so that opera singers could project right to the back of the building. Yeah, well, yeah, but sometimes you see someone and it's just a beautiful noise. Like Patrick yeah. Stewart, he's probably the modern version of that style of acting. And... I'm sort of not that convinced by him when I've seen him on stage, but it is just beautiful to hear his voice because you want to have a bath in it. Yeah. So it doesn't matter that you don't think he's actually going to go and no. kill the king. You think, well, does Manny made it sound delightful? I do think he was miscast as uh, the Beyonce role in Dreamgirls. <laughs> <laughs> so it used to be in, the, in a sort of legal trial sense. The evidence was being heard. And then uh, as a trial for a performer, it first appeared in 1881. Mm. 
It's interesting. I think unless you're an actor or know people who are in the acting profession and who do stage auditions, most people listening to this will probably think of an audition as being a screen test. You say audition and it's as much about someone looking at what you look like through a through a camera like like our correspondent here who's uh, going to an advert for pims they're you know <laughs> when you audition for pims they don't ask you to do your king lear do they 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 look and see what your nose looks like when you're taking a sip of pims yeah do you look right on a cricket pitch in june and is that exactly and is that demeaning as an actor as a professionally trained actor do you think do you wince at the taste of pims because <laughs> i do i auditioned for a couple of musicals uh, when i was at university oh my god of oh my course god, oh my god. you were in a couple of musicals yeah yeah both were, of which i got you're in west side um, story <laughs> yeah. you were the only non-singing and dancing part in right. a chorus line exactly now you it, were michael douglas no, no i was the only non-singing non-dancing part in a chorus line and before that i was also at university the only non-singing non-dancing part in west side story i was what does this right. say about you um no no but i auditioned for that yeah and they'd specified you know there are parts for dancers parts for yeah. singers and parts for people who can't sing or dance but can act so it's like okay i'll go for that and then when i got there they asked me to prepare a song hmm. and i was like but i'm here for the non-singing role and they were like yeah but we just want to test someone and i thought okay is this like when they play drama games like are they seeing right. that i'm willing to take direction and what did you do because at the time you were quite keen on the song all rise by blue <laughs> <laughs> which is very much in keeping with the West Side Story yeah 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 you hear aesthetic. that you just think if sometime was around today it's <laughs> all <laughs> for the money in the free ride on rise uh, no what I did actually you're not that far off in oh. fact what I thought I'd do is I thought well look I can't really hold a tune but I am I do have oh, a baritone voice that. you have a lovely baritone and I, c- I can you know I can project you so really I'll, can so I'll do a song that looks like I'm having fun and I know that I'm just having fun I'll have to do a character yeah. song so I thought, what can I do? And I actually, I did the Bare Necessities from the Jungle Book. Oh. So I went for that. I thought it was quite successful. But you well, see, it must have been because you got it. Well, yeah, but I, d- I still don't know why they punished me by making me do it when I was going for a non-singing part. But I think possibly they just wanted options, you know. They wanted, yeah. they thought, could I carry a tune? Could I be in the chorus? But obviously I couldn't be the chorus. I'm fat Jew. There's no part for that in West Side Story <laughs> apart from Doc. Who am I going to be a Latino backing dancer? <laughs> Ridiculous. And no one wanted to see you in a leotard in a chorus line. No. Well, here is another question of acting from Toby from London, who says, in films like Lord of the Rings where there are battles with actors riding horses. Oh, okay, so it's a specific example from Lord of the Rings. He's not just using Lord of the Rings as an illustrative example yeah. of what a film is. He says, in films like Lord of the <laughs> right, Rings... Right, yes, okay. Not where there in are, films, where there are like battles Lord with the actors comment. riding horses yeah, okay. and the horse is dramatically hit with an arrow or a cannonball or whatever and falls over, Yeah. how do they get the horses to do this? Well, I think that the, the key thing is they don't just suddenly introduce <laughs> a tame, untrained horse onto a film set and throw a cannonball at it. But they get professionals. What you're looking at is is the culmination of perhaps months of training. Stunt horses, right? Stunt horses. Uh, but still, you can't necessarily mentally prepare a horse for the fact that they're acting, which you could with a human being. No, you can't mentally. What you can do is you can pair them up with other horses. Like, uh, you know, to the untrained eye, most horses look the same. Mm-hmm. So, so long as they're all the same breed and they're the same size they take shifts basically so you know obviously the actors are there all day filming yeah. the same shot but the horse isn't the horse just does one shot and then they put it out to pasture and like relax it and they rest have it, it shot with a bolt gun <laughs> so the horse isn't all day around people firing guns and stuff around it and the horse has been trained just like when they train seals or dogs or anything to accept a reward for every single part of the fall so that like i say the moment that the horse gets hit with the cannonball and falls to the ground that is in fact five or six or seven different tricks that they've been taught in succession and what if the horse has a diva fit so i'm not doing this again <laughs> well that must happen all the time actors and horses alike but it's the thing is a lot of it is camera trickery as well well so especially although... in lord of the rings that is not all real i mean i don't, <laughs> yeah. I don't want a spoiler in in the final one 
there's that battle and there are these sort of giant hairy elephant things with tusks and Orlando Bloom slides down one of their heads. Now, I have led a sheltered life, but I've never seen one of these beasts. I think that was CGI. Never seen a big talking tree. I think maybe (laughs) some of the other things in that battle scene were also CGI. So you could make a horse fall over with CGI. But, you know, there's lots of things you can do with the camera to do with perspective. Braveheart, apparently, there are a lot of complaints to the American Humane Association saying how can it possibly be that animals weren't harmed during the making of this film. The way it's filmed suggests that there's a horse being engulfed in fire. Mm. But, I mean, that's a very simple thing. You, you let a fire off in front of the lens. The horse is like, you know, 20 yards away. There's also things you can do with, you know, retractable knives, hollow boulders, that kind of thing. You know, you're not actually throwing military-grade weapons at the horse, are you? But they're, I, they're props. I suppose the point is, though, that horses falling over is often very damaging to the horse. And how do you do that to your equine actors? But it's training, isn't it? I mean, the, the horse is trained in falling over. That's all the horse does professionally. So whereas other horses can do dressage and jumping, mm. this horse does falling over. That's its trick. It's like and the- everything else is done with foliage and sound isn't it so it sounds like the horse is in pain because it goes but actually it's fine it's absolutely fine he's going yes (laughs) nailed it it's going it's going hooray i'm gonna get a biscuit now and then i get to go over there and have a dump why does god need both a staff and a rod in the 23rd psalm and the founder being romulus ain't it odd we don't call the city wrong My knowledge is too slight So I think I shall write To answer me this podcast at googlemail.com Here's a question from Dan from London. He says, Ollie, answer me this. If you're in a relationship... I am. ...and have phone sex with someone else... I don't do that. Does that count less as cheating than if you had actual physical sex? Ooh. A.K.A. the Jason Manford (laughs) defence. Ooh. Okay. Like, obviously, my instinctive reaction is that I'm aware that people are listening will want me to be saying with all of their hearts, yes, of course, it's all cheating, it's all cheating. Yeah, your girlfriend doesn't listen to this show, though, so you don't have to put up that front. It is all cheating. It obviously is all cheating. But I think you have to be realistic and say that there's still a scale. Yes. There's still a scale at which, at one end, you'd have complete fidelity, and at the other end would be a threesome with her two sisters. So where on that scale <laughs> you is just, phone Your sex? girlfriend happens to have two sisters. <laughs> she does, but I was talking generically. And she just mighty does happen pretty. to have two sisters. All right, two brothers then. Okay, yeah, you could easily have a threesome with her two brothers. <laughs> uh, where on that scale does phone sex fit? And I think therefore it's very much who's it with? How is it happening? Yeah. Does the partner know about it? You know, there are lots of things to ask. Are you paying for it? And Mm -hmm. I think that changes where it is on the scale. And I guess, Dan, from London, you know this, which is why you've asked this question very provocatively. It's very difficult to say, isn't it? I suppose the thing is, in your partner's mind, it may seem less acute form of cheating than actually sticking your body into someone else's body. However, the mental process is one of betrayal. And that will hurt a lot. If not as much, it will still hurt a lot. But I think it does depend who with, and I know that sounds ridiculous, but if my girlfriend had an affair with someone from work, Mm -hmm. I'd be hurt by that more than if she slept with someone that she met in a bar, I think. Or actually, you know, this happens less frequently with women, but if she paid for sex with a man, right? Mm -hmm. I'd still be hurt, but I'd be less hurt than if it was an affair with someone that I think she was growing to love. Right. Now, Mm -hmm. (laughs) if she was having phone sex 
with that man from the office. That, to me, I think would be the same as if she was actually having sex with him. But if she was having phone sex with someone she was paying to give her phone sex, Mm. I'd either consider that a reflection on my poor performance... Or I'd think, well, okay, it's just the same as her watching porn. I can't take it too seriously. It's just escapism. Mm-hmm. Mm. So it's who she's talking to and why she's getting off on it. I suppose if the tenets of your relationship are absolute fidelity, then anything which you could not decently do in a room that had, say, your granny in it and uh, <laughs> is, is considered out of bounds. What I mean is things that you know are too private and too intimate with someone who's not your partner. Mm. If your relationship is... Uh, not an open relationship then i think you know that you are transgressing and therefore you have to ask yourself why you're doing that but if you are transgressing i would do it in a better way than phone sex because what is the point honestly well even just flirting's better than phone sex isn't it yeah. you can get away with flirting <laughs> do you know what i mean like you can get away with flirting in front of your partner actually sometimes makes them feel a little bit more uh like that you know you're worth competing for can't imagine martin flirting the thought is so hilarious <laughs> I've never seen it happen. Yeah, I try and flirt with our dentist, but it's really hard when she's uh, got a prize, in your mouth. Prize in my jaw open. <laughs> so, is that fair? Do you think it's fair to say there is a distinction that it's it's it is cheating, but it's not as serious as having sex? So that we are actually kind of saying we're not saying it's all right. No, but we are saying there is a distinction and there is a scale. Yes, I think actual physical congress with somebody else is. Uh, several steps further than phone sex but i wouldn't advise phone sex if you're supposed to be in a monogamous relationship it's not a scale you want to step onto at all no it will just tell you that you put on a stone since christmas (laughs) well listeners next week you are in for a special treat because we have a special guest unless she forgets to come (laughs) that's Uh, right and it is i'm trying to do a drum roll with one hand and it just sounds ridiculous the sound of one hand tapping on a desk she deserves more than that it's like a buddhist cone like uh, that? Yeah, I, can I just say it? Because I feel like we're building too much climax into this. No, it's good. It's a good one. It's Izzy Sooty. Izzy Sooty! Yeah. That, that girl that you fancy who plays Dobby in Peep Show. Yeah, and or possibly it... you might know as a stand-up comic. She's in Shameless. Maybe you like Shameless. I've never seen it. I've never seen it either. And it's now about to end, which means I probably never will. Maybe I'll catch up with it on Netflix and pretend that I was a massive fan all along. If next week you hear me say to listen to Oh my God, I'm so listeners. sad. Shameless is finished. <laughs> yeah, that was really good stuff you did with Shameless. Is it? Uh, anyway, if you've got a question for Izzy Sooty and it's not just... Um, you will know, you marry will me? You marry me? <laughs> She's got a boyfriend. Um, then do send it through to us using the usual channels, which you can find on our website... Answermethispodcast.com And also you can find links on there for our Twitter account and our Facebook page and our classic episodes and our albums. All of that. Uh, And our apps as well. Bye! Bye.